Hello, listeners. Welcome to an, yet another episode of Nobody Asks for This, a Diet Culture Takedown. I'm your co host, Kendra. And I'm Megan. And I know you're really thrown because we sound like we're different people. <laughs> and it is us. Hello. Surprise. Surprise. It's, actually, it's actually your American co host. <laughs> Oh, don't worry. We will not make you suffer any longer through those accents. No. Oh my gosh. But here's the deal, y'all. This episode with Nicola Salmon, that's from the UK, from the UK. And we are just super inspired. You're going to love listening to Nicola speak. (laughs) For so many reasons. For so many reasons, but you know, because of her accent, let's just be the most American we can be here. Yeah. (laughs) We love an accent. So Nicola is an author of fat and fertile and a fat fertility coach. And you are going to get to hear her pretty incredible story of how she ended up in this work. Um, when we get to that part of the episode, the interview, part. Yes. um, we want to say that you're going to hear a shut the fuck up intro from us. Because there have been big old new developments mm-hmm. since we recorded this episode with Nicola. Yeah. So just get ready. Um, Nicola's part of our Shut the Fuck Up. And so we will fully introduce her when we get to the interview. Right. But we just want you to know that we really, really wish we could speak with a British accent better than we can. We really do. So. Before we get to it, we want to let you know that um, what we talk about in this episode is um, fertility. We talk about PCOS. Um, we talk about um, experiences with that. Um, and we, we might get into a little like uh, capitalism take now. I don't know. Because doesn't what? it all just come back to that? So that doesn't sound like us. It- <laughs> Uh, no, this doesn't sound like us. <laughs> but I'm oh, so take care when you listen um, or don't if you need to not listen. This podcast is for entertainment, number one. And then number two, probably information, number three, education. <laughs> so if you probably in that order. Probably in that order. If you want to talk to somebody and you want some advice, see a therapist. If you need medical advice, find yourself a hazel lined doctor or nurse practitioner. All right. Here's the episode. In this upcoming Shut the Fuck Up, we talk about Adele with Nicola. And we recorded this again, like everything you've heard so far this <laughs> season, what, a, a year ago? It is, it um, is really early 2020, like maybe oh man, January so, or February yeah, 2020. Like for real early ago, <laughs> a long, long time yeah. ago. And Adele had, you know, had been quiet and not posting for a long time and then had posted some photos and her body looked different. And she didn't mention anything about that. She was posting about where she was or what she was up to. And people could only comment on her body. Right. And so that is what we talk about in this upcoming and what you're about to hear for Shut the Fuck Up. But of course, since then, and actually just recently, Adele's new album, 30, dropped. And in the course of promoting that, she did this big concert and interview with Oprah for CBS. I have to say, I watched it. I recorded it. The The concert is really good. Um, and in this interview with Oprah, for what I believe is the official first time, she actually answers some questions about this because, of course, Oprah is asking her. <laughs> I'm just laughing right now because, first of all, if you're not listening to Maintenance Phase, maintenance phase listen to maintenance phase it's such a good podcast Uh and they frequently bring up oprah and like of course we all love oprah yeah (laughs) but boy has she done a lot of harm in the weight diet eating exercise arena yes oh yes she totally has oh yeah it's unfortunate and of course oprah asks adele about what do you think about people commenting on your body 
So we're, we just want to respond briefly to that before mm-hmm. we get into the rest of shut the fuck up. And there's a few things that Adele says that are right and correct. Mm-hmm. And then there are some things that are not um, right and correct. I think it's important early when she's kind of talking about why kind of how it even happened was that she never set out to lose weight. She right. was trying to deal with her anxiety and being in the gym and lifting weights is how she was able to get a handle on that. And she even says like, I literally had nothing to do. And the stability of a routine of going to the gym in the morning and then going on a hike was really important for my mental health. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a really, I'm really glad that's how she's, that's how she let out this conversation. Yeah, me too. And I think from my future therapist hat, like what I know about anxiety is there are, there's this thing called tips. It's a what acronym or whatever, if you're in it, if you're in an anxiety attack, if you are super dysregulated in that way, each of those letters stand for something that you can do. And the I is for intense exercise, Mm. because that is a way to regulate your body and decrease things like anxiety and panic attacks. So she's doing an evidence-based intervention. Yeah. But then she makes the comment, um, it's well, let me say this. It's also, I guess, maybe not that surprising that Oprah is surprised that it wasn't about weight loss, but that's just a sidebar. Um, she makes a comment that I think needed, needs some clarifying, uh, essentially saying that the weight loss led to her mind getting clearer. It's not the weight loss. It's the structure of your day, the structuring of your day, mm-hmm. the exercise that you're doing that helps regulate your emotions and your mm-hmm. affect. It's not the weight loss. And it was such a quick comment that maybe, maybe she didn't, maybe she meant the whole and not she necessarily that piece, yeah. but it sounded right. to me in reference to weight loss. And I just think we need to clarify. Yeah. Or, or at least the way Oprah responded to it, she kind of framed it that way as if yeah. it was the weight loss. And let's not ignore that. It was probably also the, the very positive responses she was getting from people. Adele was getting from people sure. while her body was getting um, smaller. Like that is uh, that, that sort of social praise for losing weight is very impactful. Yeah. But I mean, I will say she, I mean, because she's never really responded to it. I mean, she, and she made the comment about it being like, people have always scrutinized her body. That's always yeah. been people's focus, right. no matter what she looked like. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then towards the end, she gets into talking about, you know, she makes the comment of, I was body positive then I'm body positive now now that I'm back working and I don't have the kind of free time that I had, I might gain weight. I might lose weight. My mm-hmm. weight might fluctuate. And that does it. That's okay. Right. I think that was that's good. an important statement for her to make. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause she's right. <laughs> that is true. She's absolutely right. And I, something that I just want to name, like sitting here talking about this is, you know, like I really felt for her watching that interview because you see her say like, my body, like you just said, my body's always been a topic of conversation. Mm-hmm. I was too thin or I was too fat or I was all these things. And then I'm thinking, well, gosh, here we are talking about her body. Yeah. yeah. But I think there's something to be said about the nuance of, cause we talk about representation and how mm-hmm. meaningful fat representation is to us because there's so little of positive representation in our media. Yeah. And so I think when you, when you have such a platform, you have a big responsibility there. Mm-hmm. And I think something as fans, as people who seek representation, what we have to be careful about is uh, when we find these people that feel representative of us, that doesn't mean that we have ownership over them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. it's a great point. So while our feelings about how the public is receiving her now as a smaller person are valid because Mm -hmm. I think there's sadness there for me at least Mm -hmm. because it's like, Oh, people are showing their real values if they're happy that she's smaller, but maybe my desire for her body to change is something to explore and be curious about. And what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I think she made a comment about that. It isn't her job to validate how other people feel about her 
their bodies. And she's right. Yeah. I mean, she's right. That isn't her job to do that. And yet, you know, in the position she's in offering any, even a word of validation or a word of acknowledgement Mm -hmm. that that is happening. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I do think that we, we put a lot of additional pressure on people who are just trying to be artists, you know, Um, because that's where we are in society. And I'll tell you right now, I, I love Adele. I, I love her new album. I love her old albums. I don't care. She makes good music. And, um, she does. and what I, what I have noticed is that at least as far as her public perception is that she is still, she is still who she was, you know, right. She yeah. hasn't like changed how she talks or what she talks about. She's still mm-hmm. talking about the same way, you know? And I think that's, to me, that's, um, I, I don't know, maybe uh, I want, I want to believe that that is some picture into the fact that it really wasn't about some sort of image thing. Apropos to the conversation on our last episode, where we discussed how we had to take an episode down and you may or may not know about the circumstances surrounding that. The difference here vaguely is Adele is a singer, singer. Mm -hmm. She's a performer. She's an artist. When you are doing work around liberation You need to be very intentional Mm -hmm. about who you're centering in that work and who, if your body represents a lot of privilege, then you need to be extra careful. Yeah. All right. So now listen to our thoughts from a year ago with (laughs) Nicola Salmon. So now we've come to our segment, shut the fuck up where we talk about diet culture in pop culture. And today we're going to talk about Adele because recently she's been posting some photos about her life and people think that the one and only thing that needs commented on is her, her weight loss, which she is not commenting on at all. She's just posting photos about her life, but there are now like articles all over the place trying to figure out, well, how did she do it? And what is the secret? And blah, 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 blah. All these like, I don't know. It's a, it's like in all the tabloids and all the things. And if you go read comments on these posts, mm-hmm. oh, it's just kind of sad. Um, it's like but, a little diet culture microcosm to look at all those comments. Yes. I don't know that I'm using microcosm correctly. <laughs> but I think that's appropriate because Sounds it's good. like, thank you. All, all everyone is saying, like, you, yeah, Kendra, she says nothing about her body in whatever caption she's writing. And pretty much every caption is either way to go, you look great, or I liked you better, bigger. Yeah. Which is like equally tough. Yeah. What do you think, Nicola? Um, I'm so grateful that she's not come out and said, here is my expose on how I lost all this weight, blah, 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 blah. But it's so sad that that is all people are commenting on and caring about when she's just out there living her life and doing her thing. Mm-hmm. Like she is totally allowed to do whatever she wants with her body. She should have complete body autonomy, but the same goes for everybody else. We should just mind our own flipping business, right? right. Because Her body has got absolutely nothing to do with us. And it just shows so vividly how obsessed we are with other people's bodies and Mm. what we make that mean about our own bodies. And yeah, it's just really sad. I agree. I agree. And what happens when we compliment someone's weight loss is, first of all, you have no idea why that happened. So So people lose weight sometimes because they're really, really sick or they have an eating disorder. So you might be complimenting someone's sickness or their eating disorder, and that is not good. And then even if, you know, they are happy with um, the change that they've gone through, it just reinforces fat phobic ideals. Right. And the thing that I think is really interesting is that all these, like the comments, I think in some ways, unfortunately, come to expect them to be what they are. But Mm -hmm. the, the articles that are being written is as if like, she's uncovered some magic, 
pill or something like (laughs) all of a sudden she has dropped out whatever however much she's dropped and like well so-and-so overheard her tell somebody this blah blah you know it's just like it's probably all made up but they're just it's all these like articles being written about it and I I worry for the people who are who buy into that and are like oh okay well if that's what so-and-so heard so-and-so say that Adele said to them then maybe I should try that you know like to to buy into like that's the a way to find worth in this world yeah. you know yeah. um and i'm really glad she isn't commenting on it um and when we were talking just before we started recording nicole you had a, a great point that um it's a bit sad like not mm-hmm. not necessarily just the comments but as somebody who made it to adele's height in her career and like was this you know the biggest pop star won all the awards in while she was in a bigger body she was kind of you know this representation and now that's been taken away and there is some grief in that I think for those of us who have um kind of looked to that for like that was encouraging to see you know we need more bigger role models and you know thank god for Lizzo but we need people to be representing us in all areas like recently I did a post about so I talk about fertility a lot and one of the people who I was working with couldn't find any pictures of her body size, how mm. to inject medication into herself or something you've got to do through IVF. And oh, wow. he couldn't find that representation. And that meant that she was panicking because she didn't know where to inject her drugs and what that would mean and whether mm. there was a right place or a wrong place. So we need these people because we need to normalize all bodies. And when people, you know, it is sad. And, you know, I do not want to deny her that right to change her body because God, if you think about the pressure that we're under to change our bodies, like that must be a million times more for her Absolutely. because she she will get it everywhere from everybody um, being in the public eye. Like we just have to take the comments on her weight loss, for example, like mm-hmm. everybody has to chime in with their two cents. Mm-hmm. And yeah, like I can't even imagine the pressure that she must have felt, for, yeah. like, you know, for the, the span of her career because she's been here a long time now. Like, yeah. Gosh, I can't even think how long. It must be at least 10 years of like her music being it around. Is, and she was a long young. time. Yeah. 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 That's a lot of pressure. I can't Ugh. imagine. Something that you just said, Nicola, about the needing the representation of literally how to inject IVF. Mm. So it's not just, it's not just that we need representation in order to like change our brain and how it thinks and to feel more accepted, but it's literally an access issue. Mm-hmm. It's systemic. It's affecting healthcare. Right. It's, it's affecting in a huge yeah, way. In a huge way. And it's, mm-hmm. you know, if we have representation in pop culture, that feeds down that, you know, as we start to normalize people and people see people of all shapes and sizes in the media and in the magazines and on the television, you know, that makes other companies realize like the people who make IVF meds, they, they kind of realize that they need to see a diverse representation on bodies in everything. And, you know, that filters down. And this is a big way of just bringing awareness to the fact that we all exist. We're here. Yeah. We, need, we need meds. We need this. We need that. And we need to be able to see ourselves in those things as well. Yeah, totally agree. And we're actually in the majority. Yeah. Yes, people. Who'd have thought, right? <laughs> right. I mean, it's, it's baffling and it just shows how deep fat phobia goes to know that we're in the majority, but still capitalism doesn't want to serve us mm. and profit off of us because fat phobia runs so deep. Not to Adele, but to the sole focus on any of her Instagram posts that are solely around commenting on her body, we say, shut, shut the fuck the up. Today, we are very excited to be chatting with our friend across the pond, Nicola Salmon, who is a fat fertility coach and author of Fat and Fertile. Welcome, Nicola. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be talking with you guys. We're so happy you're here. So the first thing we like to do is just ask you what your preferred pronouns are. Mm, my preferred pronouns are she and her. Thank you for asking. Mm-hmm. 
And what are you, what is your preferred size descriptor for yourself? So I am hundred percent fat, um, but I would describe myself as a small to medium fat. So okay. for me in the UK, that's, I can get clothes sometimes in the high street stores, but may not shop online. And our high street store, what are high street stores? So we have, so in our towns and city centers and things that we've got a few high street shops that will like shops that will access, give me access to clothes. But most of them will be like a tiny, tiny section of the Ooh. shop. Um, and there is like maybe one shop that caters to plus size people in my city. Yeah. Which is fun. So yes, thank God for ASOS. Thank oh. God. <laughs> yeah. And Simply B is English too, isn't yes, it? Yes, yes, yes. No, it's so nice to finally be able to have a selection of shops you can shop at online. For so long, it was really, really poor. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's probably, it sounds like it's harder in the UK than it is in the US. Like that we may have some more brick and mortar stores that are. I think you do. Yeah, I think, you know, because you have the big malls and you've got, I think, more space, like because yeah. of the way our country's grown, I would mm -hmm. say like we've got like the shops are a lot smaller and the kind yeah. of like not as centralized. So like shopping areas are very spread out and mm. it just makes it really difficult because you can't find multiple stores. So if you if I want to go shopping for an outfit, say for like an event I've got, I, I struggle to find anything when I go to like a where all the shops are which is ridiculous because yep. it's like you said I'm a average sized person this should not be difficult for me to find clothes and give people my money so I can wear things that I want to wear right yeah yeah um so how did you get into this field that you're a part of so it's a bit of a twisty turny story. Um, the key points, I was diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome when I was 16 and told mm. that I wouldn't be able to have kids. Mm. So at a really young age, I was kind of thrust into this idea that fertility might be really difficult for me, it might be really difficult for me to get pregnant. And I didn't really, I didn't really do anything with that information that I thought at the time, but Looking back now, I can really see how much it impacted my confidence in my body, my self-worth, just even like choosing partners, like it really impacted how I saw myself in the world. And that really escalated. Like, I already knew that my body was different, but this really escalated weight loss for me. So mm -hmm. the doctor, as with PCOS, it's like losing weight really helps, apparently. Mm -hmm. um, so that kind of really kick-started a lot of the yo-yo dieting behavior I then went on to have for the next kind of 10 15 20 years mm. of my life um I did the whole uni thing went to uni got a job but then when I was working in my first kind of professional job in London a guy got shot outside my flat um and it was quite traumatic for me so I ended up suffering from PTSD from that mm. and then I tried lots of different things to kind of support me with it because I was struggling to go to work and I was having nightmares and didn't really mm. want to leave the house. Um, and then randomly I went into a therapy centre, asked what would help. They recommended acupuncture for me, which mm. I'd never tried before, didn't know anything about. But after six sessions, I felt more like myself than I had done for months. And I was just so taken aback by the impact that it had on me that I decided to train as an acupuncturist which is what I did for the next four years. Um, and then because of my own stuff around my hormones and my fertility, I decided to specialize in fertility for acupuncture and then kept going in that, kept understanding a bit more about that. I trained as a coach because I really wanted to support people mentally and kind of more with their mental health because I saw a really big like, gap in my knowledge around that. And then I got married in my personal life and um, we were starting to get ready to have for a family and I got pregnant really easily really quickly wow. even though I still was in a bigger body I was still having 100 plus day cycles like my PCOS was still rampant but I got pregnant and I spent my first pregnancy terrified that something was going to go wrong mm. because that's what I was told was going to happen mm. um but then I got pregnant again really easily and um yeah, then I have my two sons. And then when they were born and when I, they started being aware of like the world around them and what was going on, 
I really, really was hyper aware of what I was eating and how I was talking about food and how I was talking about my body. And I was like, you know what? And fuck it, enough is enough. Like, I am not going to pass this on to them. I am not going to be one of those mothers who constantly talks about the diet that she's on and how horrible her body looks. And I just did not want that to happen. So I said, no more dieting. I'm never going to weigh myself again. I smashed my scales outside. And then I was left with this big hole in my life. I was like, mm. if I'm the person who was trying to lose weight, and who am I as a fat person? Like, mm. we're told that we've got to be always chasing this ideal of being in a smaller body. And then really luckily for me, I must have been joining Instagram around this time. And I happened upon people who were talking about how happy they were in their bigger bodies and I found the health every size movement the body positivity movement the intuitive eating movement and I just just I could like it was like I just had a big sigh of relief I was like mm. oh my god thank god there is something else thank god I can be okay in a bigger body and I can see other people doing the same thing. And the more and more I learned about it, the more and more I realized, oh my God, you know, like I have been lied to my whole entire life. Um, And now with my work, I just couldn't keep showing up as a fertility coach in the same way because I knew there was so much rampant diet culture in the fertility world. Like every every search you do about fertility, a fertility diet will pop up or the juice cleanse or a restriction or don't eat gluten, don't eat dairy. And I was just like, there is nobody talking about how it's okay to be in a bigger body and getting pregnant. It's all lose weight, lose weight, lose weight. So I was like, okay, well, if there's nobody else doing it, then I'm going to have to step up and do this. Even though I didn't feel ready, didn't feel qualified, didn't feel that, you know, who was I? I didn't really know what I was going to do. I, but I just decided that I had to do this and I had to show up for these people because I knew in a parallel universe, that would be me. That would be me not being able to access the healthcare I needed to have my babies. And I knew that these people don't have the energy to sometimes advocate for themselves because we are told over and over again that it's our fault. It's our fault that we are bigger. It's our fault that we can't get pregnant. If you could just lose weight, you'll be pregnant and it'll be fine and it'll be easy. Mm -hmm. And the guilt and the shame and all that is laid on these people. And they don't have the will to fight it because they don't understand that they can or that it's not their fault or that it's the diets that's the problem. And so, yeah, so that's got me to where I am now. I know a lot more than when I started, but still, you know, I've got so much more to learn and so much more ways that I can support these people because God, like the stories that I hear, these people need our help. Yeah. Yeah. That is so powerful and encouraging. And I hope everyone listening that is in a bigger body and, you know, thinking about fertility, I hope that that gives them some peace of mind. I have PCOS. I'm probably not going to have children because of other reasons, but there have been times in my life where I was devastated because I was living in a bigger body with PCOS and, you know, thought, well, I I probably won't be able to have children. And especially for women, when so much of our value is tied to our fertility because of patriarchy. um, And purity culture. And purity culture and everything else. um, (laughs) it's, It's such a grief for that option to just be taken away. So I'm so excited to talk to you about this and so um, just honored to have you on that hopefully this will be like a, a hopeful thing for people. I, I do not have PCOS and I'm not in a place where I'm think where I'm like, okay, let's have children or anything like that. Though I'm not necessarily in a place where I'm like, yeah, let's maybe having a kid right now, something I want. I want to have the information about my fertility ability options. I don't even know the right way to talk about it, but um, so that I have all the information to make an informed decision, you know, if it is something that I want down the road or is, is it even something that is possible, you know, for me. And so I'm, I'm just, I think it's important that we're talking about um, fertility in general, um, we should be talking more about women's health is not um, talk, 
talked about enough and certainly not given mm-hmm. enough research and studies and so, you know, any backing oh to gosh. help propel it yeah. into the 21st century either. So, yeah, because we don't have a penis, right? We don't right. have good enough to be researched medically and supported medically. And, you know, for most people who are, um, who have vaginas, who have female reproductive organs, yes, it's something, um, periods are seen as an inconvenience until you want to have children, but mm. actually it's an integral part of who we are and part mm-hmm. of our bodies and it impacts us every month in different ways that we are never taught. So we're mm-hmm. taught the basics at high school, right? We're taught about kind of the basics of the cycle and we're told, don't go near boys. If you have sex, you're going to get pregnant. But actually there are like six days in your cycle when you can physically get pregnant and your hormones affect everything about how you show up in this world. Right. They affect your mood. They affect your appetite. They affect when you want to exercise and how, what exercise you want to do, what ways you want to move your body. They affect how your right brain and left brain work and when you're going to be great at some stuff at work and then other stuff. But the world is not designed for us. The world is designed with the patriarchy in mind. So it's designed for people who are assigned male at birth and have those hormones that re-regulate my 24 hour system so they can get up at the same time, do the same work, come home and they'll just go every day, every day. And it doesn't work like that for us, but we're not told that. So we feel, cause we're crazy because one time we're feeling great. And then the next day we're feeling like, well, I can't do anything at work today. And I'm just going to sit here and pretend like I'm typing because my brain is just not functioning. Yeah. And we feel like there's something wrong with us when actually we're just not given the instruction book as to how our menstrual cycles work and how it will impact us on a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And I want to know, I really appreciate your distinction of it is, it is people with, uh, you who have uteruses that this affects it's not just women that this affects we always want to acknowledge that too i'm trying i'm really really trying to do this work and it's really really important to me that we're trying to make that distinction yeah yeah Mm -hmm. what myths do you come across about getting pregnant while fat in your work so the main myth that i hear is that you have to lose weight in order to get pregnant and that if you get pregnant in a bigger body a it's going to be harder and B, you're going to be putting your potential future babies at risk because there is so much in that that you are putting on people who want to get pregnant, right? You A, you're making it almost impossible for them to do that because you're telling them time and time again, like, you can't have children, you can't have children, you can't get pregnant. Um, and then they're putting it off and they're putting it off and they'll be like, okay, when I've lost X amount of pounds, I'll be able to do this. So I'll go on this diet and I'm going to get to this. So they're, again, it's the, you know, they're putting it off and they're putting it off and we know age is a factor. So the more that people in bigger bodies are putting it off, putting it off, they are reducing their fertility because they are waiting and they're waiting. Mm. And it's the same when they go and see a doctor. If they go and see a doctor and they say, you know, like we've been trying for a year, things haven't happened. Can you you run some tests or find something? Oh, well, you're still too big. It's your weight go away, come back in six months, we'll try again. And again, it's putting it off, putting it off, putting it off. Because that six months, especially for someone who maybe in their late 30s, early 40s, that six months is going to have a far significant impact on their ability to conceive than any amount of weight that they really? potentially will lose. If you assume that weight is going to have a thing right. at all, which we know right. it isn't, right. but the research, that, the fat phobic research that they have even if they dropped X amount of pounds, still wouldn't have the same impact as being six months younger, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. That does make sense. And it's mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not mind-blowing because I, I you know, know that size you know, doesn't correlate to fertility, but the fact that the time does so yeah. much and the fact that doctors are just uh, ignoring that. Yeah, they just, it's like, blanket not even really thinking about it and it's yeah there's so many ways that kind of weight stigma shows up really obviously in this area because we're talking about life right we're talking about creating new life and passing on our genetics and people don't want fat people in the world right Mm. and it's Mm. you know that genetic component of passing on your genes to the Mm. next life I think some people, they, they, they kind of 
package it as, oh, well, if you get pregnant in a bigger body, your child, future child will be at risk of X, Y, Z. They're going to be fat. They're going to be unhealthy. They're going to get diabetes, you know, like all this stuff. So of course that's like terrifying because you want the best for your child. You want your child to be healthy and well. And, but they're just creating this story around the fact that your pregnancy is going to be awful. You're going to get all these problems and then your child's going to be unhealthy. And, you know, the guilt, the shame that they're already feeling about being in their own body. And then you label this on their future child. is just, it's a way of stopping people from bigger bodies from reproducing. Wow. It's terrifying. I had never thought of that perspective. Yeah, me either. That people are probably actively trying to stop it so that those genes don't get passed on. I mean, I don't know how conscious that thought you're, process is. No, you're exactly is, right, of course. But the result is the same, right? Yeah. Are there health behaviors that people wanting to have children can engage in that are unrelated to weight that can, what do you say, what would you say increase their fertility? So, yeah, I mean, yes, totally there are. And the thing with fertility is it's not a separate system. We don't have our reproductive organs separate from our body. Like it's all together. It's all smushed in there with your digestive system and your liver and your kidneys and, ev- and everything impacts everything else. So how your menstrual cycle is working, how your fertility is, is really just another reflection of your health. So supporting your health, supporting your body in the best way that you can for where you are right now is going to give you the best chance for kind of getting pregnant. So it's, you know, all the great health promoting behaviors, regardless of whether, you know, however it impacts your weight, those are the things that you want to focus on. So moving your body in ways that feel good, drinking plenty of water, making sure you're hydrated, make sure you're getting enough sleep, making sure you're prioritizing your own needs over work, people in your life, you know, like, doing things for others, you know, like making sure that you're getting all your needs met is going to be the best way to support yourself in getting pregnant. So we know that here in the U.S. our healthcare system is abysmal. Is that <laughs> the word yeah, of choice? Um, it's pretty terrible. It's um, built-in capitalism and it's not actually interested in helping people, um, the general public, it's more interested in putting money in insurance companies' pockets. So yes, that's a statement I've now made. Um, and um, support, so, support. Um, and so obviously, the um, healthcare system in the UK is different. Um, I am not highly versed in it, um, but I wonder if you can speak at all to how it treats. Uh, fat people or is it a system that is built for all people i mean maybe that's the place to start um well we're not too far behind you in terms of you know like we're pri- as much as our government says we're not privatizing the nhs the nhs is being privatized right now so really? i imagine in a few years we're not going to be that dissimilar from your healthcare system unfortunately mm-hmm. but at the moment we still have an nhs which is our national healthcare system and this provides free at access point kind of healthcare for people, regardless of their age class, you know, like um, yeah, anybody, anybody and everybody can go and get healthcare when they need it, which is amazing. It's phenomenal. But as it's a limited resource, they have to make sure that they are being effective, quote unquote, with their, the way that they are dishing out the money, so to speak. So at the moment, it's people can go and see their doctor and get tests and basic tests and basic treatments. And then if they all come back fine and there's nothing that the doctor can do for you, then you'll immediately be given like access to IVF um, for the majority. So we have like, um, like rules and guidelines around what each area should give. And the guidelines say three treatments for every couple, but based on like there's some exclusion criteria but the way that the health like the areas have decided to interpret this is now they're only going to offer one per couple and if your bmi is over 30 nope you don't get anything so anybody Uh. over 30 even if it's a male factor so even if you're a het couple heterosexual couple um and it's a problem with the sperm the woman is fine the woman is healthy there's no issues with her they found you still don't get to, you still won't get to access that cycle because the woman is in a bigger body. How 
fucked up is that? So fucked up, and we know that BMI is bullshit. Right? Yeah, like it's a completely arbitrary cutoff. And it doesn't even mean anything anyway. It's just like, oh my God, guys, come on, please. It's just discrimination. Right. Yes. Basic, plain and simple. Like, yeah, yeah discrimination against people in bigger bodies. So what is the, um, a lot of like the registered dietitians that are now anti-diet, registered mm-hmm. diet that we talk to are, they come out of their programs and then, and they, they're like, well, we read a couple of things related to like health at every size or intuitive eating. Um, and it's only once they get into their practice that they go, wait a second. And then they do some more uh, kind of on their own and then find this new, um, new lens of which to practice through. And yeah. I'm curious if just if that in the education of doctors, registered dietitians is similar in, in the way that it is here, that it, it kind of teaches towards fat phobia Yes. Um, and if that's the same in the UK? Yeah. I mean, our doctors are put through like a seven year medical program, which is very patriarchal, mm. very fat phobic, very steeped in like this capitalist, mm. all men are gods kind of thing. Um, yeah. Our dietitians are kind of different. We don't really have, we have registered dietitians, but not in the same way. Like it's, I think the way that our kind of you know, names are protected are very different. So you could call yourself a dietitian, I think, or a nutritionist. I don't, I can't quite remember the names of the rules, but it's a little bit different, I think. But yeah, we don't really have many healthcare providers that are health are every size informed. In fact, I don't even know if that's something that's covered. Um, mm-hmm. Again, with our midwives, again, with our, you know, many healthcare professionals, I'd say, would not have been educated at all in any of the health at every size movement, which is such a shame. Mm-hmm. Um, but something that would be amazing to change yeah. but like it's so entrenched like this fat phobia and this patriarchal system that you know it's like walking through mud right you're getting just yeah. like one foot in front of the other it's slow 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 I'm curious to know if you think that you talked about how you think that the NHS will be privatized mm-hmm. do you think that that's because of Brexit and just like a general like how most countries are sort of uh, swinging more conservative? Yeah, I think it's a lot to do with our conservative government. And I think that social media is playing a big role in this, actually. I feel like Mm -hmm. the way that our media has evolved and the way that our media can be targeted at specific people and their specific views, I feel like, um, there's a lot of fake news around and a lot of manipulation of people's point of view in our country so that we have had, you know, recently we've had a new election and it's conservative majority. Um, and it's terrifying to be honest. And now that Brexit's going ahead, you know, I'm thinking of emigrating, (laughs) Mm. but, um, yeah, I think it's basically just to make more money for the people who already have the most money. And it's, I hope to God that this is like, capitalists like capitalism's last kind of grab at trying to grab power before this new system evolves and can kind of form of you know more gentle more feminine more nurturing and supportive and community and you know all that stuff but it's impossible to know these days like things change so quickly and so surprisingly like when we first um, voted for Brexit like I was in a little bubble and everybody was like of course we're not voting for Brexit it's the most ridiculous idea in the world but then it went through and it's you're just like oh fuck you know like what country am I living in where that's that's the thing that people want and that just makes me so sad so yeah. sad but it's all intertwined you know yeah. it's all like feeding this hate and this fear of people who are different from us and yeah. then you know like trying to separate out people so people in fat bodies people in brown bodies people in like you know gender queer bodies and which they're trying to separate those groups out so that 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 these groups are small and they're not able to like form together and create this kind of mass rebellion that we need to really create a better world for everybody it's intentional yes yeah and um kind of like i was saying earlier like this is systemic so idea what if we could find an uninhabited but inhabitable island? I thought you were going to say planet then. <laughs> planet. You know what? Let's just go with planet. And 
we can all immigrate there and we can be the first, we can try our very, very, very best to not be fatphobic, to not be transphobic, to not be homophobic, to not have a white supremacist society, to not be ableist. Are you in with me? Yeah. Hell to the yes. All right. Who's got a spaceship? I think that the people that should be running that are the native people. So just like the native people of lands. The native people of the planet that we're going to inhabit. (laughs) Yeah, well, so if they are there, way. yes. But I'm saying okay. the ones who are here that we've all taken land you're right, from, you're right. we should it, take them and let them run. Indigenous oh, people, yeah. Indigenous Can people you imagine run. if indigenous people ran the world? Like, it would be phenomenal, right? Yeah. I mean, it yeah. really would be. Yeah. yeah. All of this speaks to how important intersectionalism is. Oh, yes. Oh, I have to tell you guys, I went to a show yesterday. It was the most phenomenal thing I've ever seen in my whole entire life. It was like this... It was called The World is on Fire, and it was like fat people, trans people, genderqueer people singing, performing. Oh my gosh. And the room was full of genderqueer fat people. And I was just, I just felt like I was home. I felt like I was yeah. normal. I loved, and the, just the atmosphere was insane. And these people who put it on. So we had Jess Baker. Yeah, I yeah. saw her post about this. I don't know about this. It's like royalty. Um, and, uh, comedian Sophie Hagen and um, Megan Jane Crabb from Body Posse Panda. And all oh, wow. phenomenal people were there. And I'm, it was, you know, that's how I could imagine our, our world running. Yeah. Like from these people, like true representation across the board, like non-binary and it was just like, yeah, it was utopia. Yeah. So we need to do something like that here in the U.S. For sure. Yeah. Happen for sure. I'm wondering what your, like, what your peer situation is. Does that make sense? Like, in, the, in your field? Like, do you, like, do you have peers that see the world the same way you do? Or I seek out peers that see the same the world the same way I do. Yeah. So uh-huh. when I first started, I kind of created a community in the fertility kind of coach fertility support world. Uh-huh. And when I started talking and being more visible about the message that I knew I was here to talk about, I came up with some resistance. A lot of people saying, "You can't talk about this. You can't do this. This is wrong. You are going to be hurting people by talking about this message." And mm-hmm. That was really hard, especially when I was starting. I wasn't confident. I didn't really fully understand the nuance of the topic and the research behind it. And it was difficult for people who I respected to come out and kind of, they were trying to do it in a kind way, but they were, you know, like, when I see them now, they blank me. So they were obviously like, felt very strongly that what I was doing was harmful. And that was difficult because I didn't have any other peers at the time. And now as I've learned more about the movement, I've reached out to people, I've spoken with people, I have created my own network of people that I know and trust and love who are either talking about haze, um, talking about PCOS, talking about healthcare, and having them in my life has made this work so much easier because I, they are really just demonstrating to me that you don't have to be perfect all the time. I am going to get this wrong so many times, but I need to keep showing up and I need to keep correcting myself and I need to keep apologizing. I need to, but I need to keep doing the work. And that's really important because I think for me as like a, a good girl growing up, like I was so afraid of putting the foot wrong, so afraid of offending somebody mm. that I would just not do anything. And that's the easiest thing to do. Right. But this needs to change the systemic nature of our healthcare systems which are excluding people needs to change so we need to keep talking we need to keep doing it wrong and we need to just keep going and keep doing it so yeah I'm so lucky to have found people who get it people who I can talk to about it people who are supportive and understand how difficult it is and I've actually really found some great support within my acupuncture community because in the UK is quite a um, still quite a kind of on the outskirts of medicine so it's not really accepted as clinical evidence-based medicine still in the UK so that has felt quite safe because they understand what it's like to be on the outskirts of Mm. research and on the outskirts of what people feel is acceptable or um kind of understood so that and they have been so 
supportive of my work and they've been really interested in learning more and been really open, which has been the real difference between those and people who are already kind of steeped in the medical fertility world. So yeah, it's been but so important for my work, especially because I do it alone, to have mm. that network of peers around me. Yeah. That's great. So you had to be really proactive and like searching mm. that out. Yeah. Finding those Which is people. a lot of work. That's a lot yes. on top of trying to keep up the, yeah, to keep the message up in that. Yeah. So, but it's, oh. yeah, I mean, it's, it's reaped its rewards for me because I'm just so lucky to be able to ask these people questions or if I come up with anything particular or just have a good moan about how bloody awful it is to be talking about this stuff sometimes when you're getting trolled or when mm-hmm. somebody's, you know, like just, they're not understanding and it's yeah it's the nuance of it that's so difficult because we are going to get things wrong and we're going right. to have to yeah. own the harm that we've done before and that that is hard that is really hard in a culture where doing it right and doing it well and doing you're doing and doing and doing is the thing that is valued right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and apologizing and reflection isn't really valued right um i'm so grateful for you Yes, me too. And the work that you're doing. And I think it's so ironic that people would be upset because they think that the work that you're doing is harmful when in fact the work that they're doing is harmful. Yeah. I know the irony, right? Right. But, um, you know, I really believe that we, people who come into this profession are coming into it with the idea that they want to help people. Right. So it's, you know, I'm not discounting them. I'm not shutting them out. I'm just, you know, I really want to call them in and invite them to read some of the stuff I've been reading. And I'm trying to like, you know, I know that their intention is good, but diet culture is so everywhere that, you know, how can they not, you know, like I have only found this because of the desperation that I felt that I could not diet anymore. And that was just, I just had enough. Um, and if people are in smaller bodies, then they will never have felt that. And they will feel the pressure of diet culture and they'll feel the pressure of having to have this body, but it's just not the same as the systemic fat phobia and the way that that plays out in your life when you're in a bigger body. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. This has been a really good conversation. Yes. I've learned so much. Thank you so much yeah. for talking with us and sharing your story and your work. It's so important and we support you hundred percent. We're so grateful. Mm-hmm. That yeah. means so much to me. Tell us how we can find you, how we can hire you, what you're up to, and your social media. So I am most active on Instagram. My handle is Fat Positive Fertility. Um, I'm also the same on Facebook, if Facebook's more your jam. I do have a free group on Facebook, which is actually a really, really lovely place. It's called Fat and Fertile. So if you just kind of search that. It's like a diet-free, weight-loss-free zone of people just talking about their experiences and, you know, me chiming in whenever I can to support them with doctor's appointments and whatever's going on for them in their pursuit for for parenthood. Um, I've written a book. It's called Fat and Fertile. It's on Amazon if you want it. I self-published it. So there are a few typos, but um, it was just the easiest way that I could get this book out that I'd written. I mean, just sat in my desk for like, months because I was too terrified of like the thought of putting it out there and being this fat person because fat phobia is still strong sometimes in ourselves yeah. right that internalized yeah oh my god if I'm the fat fertility coach that means I've got to be fat for the rest of my life and does that mean I'm never going to be mm. happy you know Ooh, the, yeah. the voice the voice so that's out there that's on Amazon um, and if you want to work together I take on one-on-one clients kind of for fertility support where we talk about what health looks like without weight loss and dieting and how you can advocate for yourself with your doctor. We've had some really, really amazing stories about people who've been able to change their doctor's mind and get support for fertility once we've given them the research and like kind of just kept pushing and being difficult and demanding the right care that you deserve. And it is hard and it's not something we should have to do. It's not something we should have to take on that responsibility for, but it's just the situation that we're in right now where we have to do that. And it's about reversing those beliefs that we have been told time and time again that our bodies can't get pregnant. So a lot of good stuff. Yeah. So yeah. So that's kind of mainly what I do. Um, I have a free guide if anybody wants to learn a bit more about it. It's like the fat person's guide to getting pregnant. So that's on my website. And yeah, I think that's all the goodies and stuff I've got going on at the moment. Tell us your website. The address. It's Nicola Salmon, so N I C O L A, salmon like the fish, S I L M O N.co.uk. 
Do you serve any clients outside of the UK? Yeah, I have clients in the US, I have clients in Australia, all over the world. Because unfortunately, fat phobia is everywhere. Thank you so much. We're fans. Yeah. (laughs) We're big fans. Let's talk about snacks, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the sweet things and the salty that we eat. Let's talk about snacks. Hello and welcome to our snack segment. We are here with Nicola Salmon. Am I saying everything correctly? It's brilliant. Yes. Thank you so much for having me. Yes. And we, if you can't tell, she's from the UK. Where are you exactly? I'm just outside London in Surrey. So, amazing. So we want to ask you about snacks that are English that we might not know about. Oh, this is such a tough one because I love snacks. Obviously, all the snacks are amazing. And we're a big snack household here because honoring our hunger. Um, But the thing I've been snacking most on at the moment is actually an American snack, which is chocolate covered pretzels. And I only discovered them like six months ago. And I had no idea like that I was going to love them so much. But like that is pretty much what I've been snacking on for a majority of the last six months. So that's not a thing. That's not like a thing in the UK? No, it's not a thing. (gasps) They're quite like, I know. And the weird thing is like, whatever the brand is I can't quite remember the name of it but I have been seeing it on really old episodes of things like Friends and I've just been looking at the packaging like oh my god how have I not known about this for my whole life I feel like I've just been missing out on this big snack celebration of like the sweet and the salty yes yeah we're all about that over here do you have pretzels so relatively recently I wouldn't say it was like a thing I had growing up but like, okay. yeah, we've got pretzels, like a couple of brands of pretzels, but they're not super popular. We have a lot of what we call crisps over here of like uh-huh. Lay's Walkers. Um, but again, another thing that I'm loving to snack on recently is like, um, like prawn crackers, which are like Chinese takeaway type things. Mm. They sell them in packets in the supermarkets. And also they do like tiny little poppadoms, which are really delicious. What's that? What is that? So they're like, um, you have poppadoms with like Indian takeaway over here. So like okay. oh. curries and they, you have them with like mango chutney, which is like mm. this mango dip. Yeah. Mm. So good. I think they're made with chickpea flour. So it's like this really different flavor. Mm. But like, oh, they're so good. Are they kind of like samosas? So they're like crisps. They're like, oh, they've got like, okay. a, like a really kind of snap and they're quite thin and round. Um, oh. In the Chinese restaurants, I mean, the Indian restaurants that we have, they're quite big. They're like the size of a dinner plate. Okay. Um, and then you've got all these different dips that you put them on. But yeah, you can get them in like tiny little things now and they like sell them as a snack. Yeah. They're yeah. so good. That Do you know that? Okay. So I uh, lived in South Africa for a hot minute and there's a lot of, british snacks in south africa <laughs> i guess of, yeah because yeah, of sense. you know colonialism and yeah. um are kinder eggs a big thing my boys love kinder eggs okay i'm obsessed eggs. with a kinder egg and they only came to the states not very long ago really very re- yeah because i couldn't bring any back when i'm like t- almost 10 years ago now i couldn't bring any back they weren't allowed in the states Really? Is it to are. do with the toy inside them? I thought I'd read that somewhere. Possibly. Maybe that you yeah. can't have like a food item that also contains like something, something that like that. Something like that. Oh, yeah. okay. Uh-huh. So Kinder Eggs, Nicola, tell us what those are exactly. So they are, it's like an Easter egg really. So it's like an egg shaped thing. It's like white and milk chocolate. And then inside, which is the thing that you really buy it for is like this tiny little cheap plastic toy which obviously is really bad for the environment they get thrown away after about five minutes they do not last longer than a day um but they love them they're like obsessed it's like if they have any pocket money it's the thing they want to buy is these kinder eggs with these cheap little plastic toys in them and then you know i just yeah gotta let get on with it and learn but oh the environment kids oh and they have the they have like the ones that i always got had the little um like nutella-y balls in them Ooh. like hazelnut maybe i don't know they, were they have that egg. and a toy yeah so you open the plastic egg and one side is this like creamy chocolate hazelnut like 
goodness. And the other side you open up and has the toy. That's the kind I always got. But I know they make some other versions too, but that's mm. the one. They, they've had to make that version for hotter countries because I think the version that we have in the UK, <sighs> because it's quite a thin layer of chocolate, I'm uh-huh. pretty sure now unless it was kept in like the fridges the whole time oh fascinating i think that would make sense to me also fun fact about kinder eggs that i've learned from working with many many children there are thousands of videos on youtube of people (laughs) unwrapping kinder eggs and it's it's very it's this very specific thing it's almost like asmr because you really just see their hands and they unwrap it like kind of slowly and then get the toy out. It's and and these videos have millions of views. Oh my, oh my word! It's yeah. a whole subculture. It really is. I've it missed really my vacation in life. This is how we're going to be making our millions. I know. Right? Yeah, <laughs> unwrapping Kinder eggs online. <laughs> oh, that's so funny. So in England, crisps are what we call chips. Yes. Yep. 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 And then cookies or chips biscuits. are what we call fries. Yeah, but we have, so we have almost like two types of fries. So we have what we call chips, which are like fat potato chips. Um, So like, for example, just today I had fish and chips, which would be like going to a takeaway, having fish, and then it's like chunky, kind of quite wide chips. And then we call French fries, which is like the thin version, so like McDonald's fries. Why we've got to differentiate the two, I have no idea, but. (laughs) So we call them wedges then. Like oh, potato okay. wedges is what we would have called your fish and chips. As well. But I our think... wedges are like, almost like if you were to do a potato and then like, almost like an angle. Uh-huh. Like, yeah, like a wedge. Yeah, yeah. Like, a, like that kind of. Um, also, maybe steak fries is what we would call oh. mm-hmm. chips. Yeah, Just the size the and the thickness. Yeah. Yeah, you'd have oh. a good chunky chip with a, with a steak over here for sure. Well, here's the other, um, this, uh, one of the other things I love is um, having a cookie with your coffee. You all mm-hmm. would call them biscuits, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> so like coffee. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm really weird. I'm a really weird British person. I don't drink tea or coffee, which is really unusual over here. Like uh-huh. it's from the north of England and tea is like, a, like, it's like an institution. Right. Um, but yeah, so many people have like biscuits with their tea and coffee and they'll dunk them in. Like, even like the chocolate ones, I'm like, but the chocolate melts and goes in your tea. How is that not revolting? But oh, like, and tea. They dip them in yeah. tea like that. Weird, right? Weird. Very, yeah, that is very weird. I eat a uh, biscuit. Well, I call them biscuits when I eat them with my coffee as well, because I have a biscuit <laughs> with my morning coffee every morning. A cookie with my morning coffee. Are there, is there anything that you call cookies? So chocolate, so th- like biscuits with chocolate chips in, or like the big, like chewy yeah or like maybe like oatmeal and raisin um okay those kind of like round with the bits and we call those cookies but we have so many types of biscuit over here there's uh-huh. like shortbreads um digestive um, something yes. what's that <laughs> know, like, so that's good. a bit boring digestive it's like it's like a round biscuit it's quite sugary but it's quite it's almost like brown flowery wholemealy type biscuit okay but we've got custard creams jammy mm. dodges mm-hmm. oh, just like so good yeah, bourbon biscuits pink wafers like you could go on for hours talking about biscuits alone my oh, whole yes. education for any of these things is the british baking show oh, that's my yeah. only reference here <laughs> but i feel like it's taught me a lot yeah oh yeah i mean they they have got quite a lot of representation on there although they do pick some really weird stuff that nobody has ever heard of over here really Just, i'm always curious like is this a staple or is this bizarre most of like especially like the technicals are mm. generally really bizarre things that nobody's ever heard of so the contestants have absolutely no idea what they're making but yeah a lot of them are like you know really quite standard british kind of baking so like the battenbergs and the sponges and all those fun things yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Let's talk about snacks. You made it to the end of another episode. Congratulations. We're so glad you stuck stuck around. We are very aware that this episode is coming out the day before Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is kind of like the kickoff holiday of uh, family interactions and uh, potentially and lots of food talk and things like turkey trots. Uh, 
and, um, you know, people thinking you got to earn food. So I want you to know that we have an episode from a couple years ago, specific from a couple years ago, specifically around Thanksgiving. It's uh, season two, episode five, and it is called Around the Thanksgiving Table. It's got a lot of good comebacks in there. There's a skit. There's a, there there's a scenes of a skit. There's a, there's a skit. Yeah. There's some songs. There's, there's a some song. Songs. So if you feel the need to have some yeah. fat friends with you on Thanksgiving, give it a listen. It's honestly one of my favorite episodes that we've done. Yeah. It's a fun one. It's kind of yeah. variety show-esque. What are you doing for Thanksgiving, Megan, this year? I'm going to Pigeon Forge. With, you are? Yep. With 15 other family members. Hey, we're all staying in the cabin together. I'm actually super excited though. We might. Well, go to that sounds one. like. Well, that sounds like um a, a good time. I hope it is. Yeah, yeah. Thank yeah. you. That's a lot of people in one place. Don't she, think I'm not packing. My oh my god, are you really? She. Oh my god, are you really? Yeah. Oh my god, you have a family that karaoke's. Oh, it's a fun family. <gasps> my family is not like that. Um, we're fun sometimes, but we are not. <laughs> I don't even think there's 15 total people that would go to a cabin in my family together at the same time. <laughs> Sorry, family, if you're listening, but you know, it's true. So for Thanksgiving, my parents are actually coming to where I live and it's just going to be the three of us. You're hosting. I guess. Yeah. We are not cooking, but okay. <laughs> are you ordering in? Are you catering? What's happening? I've already ordered. Uh, I'll be picking it up from where? and it's a place called Libby market here in town. Okay. And I just ordered the meat and two of the sides and a pie. And then, cause my mom was insistent to not buy mashed potatoes because I could just get Bob Evans at the grocery store. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I did. I got sister. She were awesome. I love that. Yes. It <laughs> it's like, yeah. And so what's really funny though, I was like, I was just realizing I don't like have a dining room in my house. Okay. So I was like, Oh, I guess we're gonna have to eat in the living room. So I'm going to get, I have a table that I can put up for the four, but the three of us, it's a four person table to sit at. So they're coming with the dogs. So it'll be the two dogs and the three of us. Sweet. We might go to Williamsburg. I don't know. Cause it's pretty close. Okay. We can get there pretty quickly, yeah. but yeah, we're like a real, we are a low key holiday family across the board. Like we are not, we are not a family that feels the need to exhaust ourselves on the holidays. And I can really appreciate that. Yeah. There's something to be said for that for sure. Yeah. So that's what I'm doing and you know, should be fine. It's just the three of us. What could possibly go wrong? (laughs) (laughs) Kendra, Mm -hmm. what are you grateful for? Well, I don't know. I'm going to be real honest. I am really grateful for this podcast and for our listeners, but things going on around me are rough right now. So I'm trying to yeah. remain grateful. I, um, we really are grateful for this community mm-hmm. because it is, that is what it is. And we hope you feel that when you listen mm-hmm. and the things that we engage in and with the book club and things like that. Yeah. yeah. What about you, Megan? I'm really grateful for this community too. I think that it is to use some social work language. It is a protective factor in my life mm. against the gaslighting mm. of diet culture. Love it. We hope that you experience it the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if you don't tell us, cause we never want to be. That's right. Creating any kind of harm. And we are always open. Mm-hmm. Truly. And we're going to mess up. We're going to mess we up. Know, we know that. Yeah. And we want it to be open open yeah Mm -hmm. we love y'all love you take care of yourselves